to 2,730 years and counting. A podcast that is chronicling the re-emergence of the Lost House of Israel and its reconciliation with the House of Judah. Opinions of the interviewer and guests may not be the same, but we are all walking in discovery together. Come listen. Two thousand seven hundred thirty years and counting. This is my podcast. I'm Gene Porter. It's this. I'm the one who's had this podcast from the beginning, and we'll probably have it till its end, whenever that is. And uh, those of you that listen to other episodes of this podcast know that my primary focus is on the two houses of Israel and the fact that they have never come back together since they split up after the death of Solomon, and that's been almost three thousand years ago. But it looks to me like Based upon what I'm seeing around me, the day is coming very soon when that that reconciliation may take place. And that tells me that the end of this age is coming closely and rapidly. And uh, one of the things that will help us, one that will give us a good prism and a good lens to look through and see exactly how correct we are in that understanding, is to read writing by people who have their act together. Uh, Today, I'm going to interview one of my favorite temple scholars. She's part of the Temple Triumvirate, you know, Joe Good, Dina Dai, and Rico Cortez. And Dina has has a lot to say right now, especially because she just got done putting a book out. I don't know when she sleeps. I really don't know when she sleeps. She's amazing to me. But uh, she's with me today, and we're going to hear her talk a little bit about her book and maybe why she wrote it um, and what brought the Noah's Ark in as the the next topic to relate to the temple because uh it's interesting to make those 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 relations across time you know uh it's always astounding to to see all of the similarities that exist and all of the uh, the lessons that we can learn from that so with that being said i'm going to get out of the way i'm going to let dina tell you because she's got it far more together than i do thank you for being with us today dina well thank you gene appreciate being on the show and yet this is a, you know, it's kind of a unique topic, a, a little bit of background here, because I really have been at this for 42 years. And once I recognized that Yeshua indeed was the Messiah, and having been raised in a Jewish home, I could see immediately that the New Testament and the Old Testament, if you will, connected. And I early in my early uh, walk, I was in churches. I, I was in the Assemblies of God for another a number of years and taught this. I tried to show people how, you know, the connection between the Gospels and the Epistles and the Tanakh. And sometimes it didn't go over that well, <laughs> some of the leadership. <laughs> and you know, I, I just kind of kept on with it. And uh, through the years that I got to homeschool my kids, 
I would work every afternoon and keep doing research and study, et cetera. And, you know, and kind of there was that was the journey. And I would say at about maybe 10 years ago, I suddenly I don't I had studied with Joe Good since Mm -hmm. like 1988 or something in there. And I learned all the nuts and bolts and the structure of the temple and the ceremonies and, and sort of that that foundation, those foundational elements. But I didn't really know really where it went. You know, it was like I had a lot of really good information, but I was having trouble sort of connecting it all. And then one day it just kind of dawned on me that really the basis of the scripture was in temple language, what we might call temple theology. And I not ever heard anybody, you know, talk about it in those terms because we talk about different theologies, but not the temple as a theology. So I began to do a lot, a lot of research on it. And and I sort of stepped back for the 40,000 foot view to see the picture of the temple from the cosmos, the creation, all the way to the end of the book, Revelation. And, you know, I did a lot of teaching, a lot of research, a lot of videos, etc. And at one point, I thought, well, I think I need to write about this except that I realized writing about it was going to be a book about 2000 pages that nobody would ever read. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, one thing I want to just insert here because it struck me, uh, the fact that the church does not relate to the temple because the temple is not with us. And the temple was that Jewish thing that existed a long time back. And, you know, they don't have anything to do with us anymore because the whole law and everything was thrown out. So the temple is part of what we just discarded. And that's Correct. sad because I think if if the church would would look at look very closely microscopically at the temple, they might just discover a few things that just might relate to how they all live today. Don't you think? Oh, I I mean it it's ground zero. So yeah. I, I was thinking one of my favorite scholars is N. T. Wright. Uh, he's uh, I'm currently at uh, St. Andrews in Scotland. He was uh, the archbishop or the bishop of something. I don't remember in England. Really smart guy. I love him. Oh, you know, he's got that fabulous English accent. So honestly, it doesn't matter what he <laughs> says. I'll believe it. <laughs> but yeah. he he latched onto this later as well. And somebody I saw an interview that he did with someone and they asked him, well, if you had it to do all over again, you know, what do you wish you knew? And he said, without a doubt, temple theology. I thought, well, there's a man after my own heart. And (laughs) he's, you know, he's in the Christian community and he writes, I mean, he's got, I don't know, 40 or 50 books. And so it's likely that Christians are going to be more exposed to something that he does. And hopefully they'll begin to see. And I think when you see that, it's, it's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. So I realized I was going to have to break this thing down because otherwise, you know, it was just massive. And I didn't want to write books that were more than 200 pages because really it's hard to keep people at that. So I kind of divided it up in my head. I didn't know how far I would go with it. And I decided after I just finished the temple revealed in Noah's Ark that it would remain a series of three. Because I feel if you can understand Genesis 1 through 11, you pretty much got the rest of the Bible. Yep. Yep. So it started with creation. Well, that is like an, a ginormous talk, <laughs> discussion, right. you know. Right. And how do you encapsulate creation? Because no one was there. We don't really, 
all all I had were the works of scholars to try to mm-hmm. understand how does this creation temple thing look. And right. so the idea of Genesis 1 was in the beginning, uh, God made essentially a covenant between heaven and earth, and covenants always related to houses. So you're joining two parts to create a house, and the purpose of building a house was to produce life. So it doesn't matter whether you're talking about a physical house or a spiritual house or, a, you know, whatever kind right. of house. So the greater house was the cosmos. And the cosmos, yeah, we can see that running all through the scriptures, heaven, earth, and sea. But the, the connecting point would be between heaven and earth. And so in the ancient world, you always put a temple between these two spheres, heaven and earth. And so, when, of course, the, the temple was the place uh, that the gods inhabited. That was their, you know, their home. And then they would install a king to represent them. And he would have a throne in the temple. And the temple was always on top of a mountain. So you have a lot of ancient Near East culture and customs that go into what we see in Genesis 1 through 11. So I just began to lay the foundation for that kind of thinking. And so, you know, the first one was a temple revealed in creation. The second book took us to the garden. So it was a temple revealed in the garden. And then the third book is now taking us the temple revealed in Noah's Ark. And so that's covering all those chapters in Genesis. And so the focus is the temple, the structure, but then the more important element is, you know, you need a king. (laughs) You have a temple, you have the cosmos, but you need the king seated on the throne. And so kingship became very important to understand that the king sat on the throne in, you know, in 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 the house. So, you know, all those uh, themes became important. And then as I got into the Noah's Ark book, I realized even more important stepping back was the concept of the, the of creational order. And so when you learn about the ancient world, you knew that when a king defeated enemies, that was a period in which he brought rest to his empire. And then he went through his enthronement. So rest was always associated with the defeat of en- enemies and the enthronement of the king. So we right. see we see that language running through, of course, the garden and, and into Noah's Ark. And as I step back, I, I recognize that in the ancient world, order and chaos were very uh, important themes and that only the king could bring order out of chaos. And so then it became... The theme of the Bible, even more than it is the temple, it is kingship, but even more so is creational order. And so mm-hmm. the king is the one who would always restore creational order. And it called ultimately Yeshua the Messiah would do that through his right. resurrection because of he would have eternal life. So those are that's right. just kind mm-hmm. of some of the thinking that I went through as I went through the series. Yeah, that's. You know, that that was one of the things that, that I ran headlong into when I started reading your book, because I'm very much of a literalist when it comes to the Bible. You know, I mean, I take things pretty much exactly as they're presented. And uh, and I'm going, well, hold on a second. This looks like she's she's saying that a lot that Israel maybe absorbed a lot of this from their the peoples around them. But, uh, you know, I think that Yehovah, I mean, I've had enough supernatural stuff happen in my life. And I'm sure you've had enough supernatural things happen in your life to know that that it's not all just it's not all something that we pull in from from other cultures, but uh, but we've seen the hand of of the Creator in yeah. huge ways, you know. So, but it's well, still so important. 
yeah. Here's how sure. the overlay kind of works because uh-huh. um, in in my third book, Noah, I did go into a little bit of introduction into the concept of myth because that was uh-huh. very much uh-huh. the world at that time. We are n- we can't really use the word today because as soon as I say it. Uh, people yeah. go to, well, this is a fictional account and it's not true and blah, blah. Yeah. But yeah. for them, the world of myth, it was a real historical world with real people, real places and real things. And that's certainly what we see in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But the overlay is that they would evaluate that world uh, using symbols. And so they would take symbols, but they had real meaning. They were dealing with real events on the ground to tell their stories but they described it in language that's symbolic, metaphorical, and it's not language we're comfortable with or we're used right. to. Right. So right. same with the Bible. And you can see all kinds of elements in the Bible that is clearly reflects the fact that they were from an ancient Near East culture. Now, right. you know, that was their culture, but God uh, in, in that yod heh vav Yahweh is doing something unique with Israel. And he is basically dethroning or deconstructing the myths of the ancient cultures within the culture that they are. And the and yeah. ground zero yeah. for what he's doing is he is presenting a world of life because those cultures were, you know, filled with, I mean, they, the, the gods and the kings lorded it over the people. They enslaved them. Their lives were not great. Yeah. Yeah. And there right. was a death, death spiral. So right. now we come and we see this contrast. He is the God of life and order. And that's mm-hmm. bar none. That's the story of the Bible. Yeah. And, you know, another thing, too, is I think a whole lot of that absorption was in their direction as well. For instance, for yes. instance, the word the word for the seventh day, Shabbat. I mean, I mean, that word carries across culture to culture worldwide. I mean, it the 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 description of Saturday, you know, we we English speakers unfortunately and uh inherited a little bit of uh of uh of that of that world stuff you know i mean saturn is not is is nobody that i worship or pay attention to but i mean the fact the fact is that people all over the world have a shabbat or sabado kind of name for that seventh day and that that was i i believe that was clearly absorbed from israel Mm -hmm. so so there has been a lot of outward exportation of things too you know but yes uh, and well, you find um, it's, it, it is interesting because other cultures at the time did have kind of a fascination with the number seven. Um, yeah. There's a book out by uh, Victor Hurwitz called I Have Built You an Exalted House. And he explains that many cultures, you know, use this number seven. But the seven indicated that, again, rest and peace had come to the empire the king was on the throne you know the land had been restored and inherited to his son and you know they could grow food and feed the subjects all of that's tied into there and of course you see in in israel's economy all the language related to sevens like the shemitah you know the land resting after years and the yovel after seven seven and we just have this repeat of sevens and sevens and sevens to take Mm -hmm. us to this place of rest where the king is sovereign and rules and reigns yeah 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 no doubt about that and i uh i just uh you know one little advantage that i i managed to get my hands on for whatever reason was joe good approaching me this is once again back in 2014 
2014, I think it was. Anyway, he approached me about doing a show together. And we for eight months, we did the show together on the temple. Okay. You know, it, it was, called, right. measure the, yeah, it was yeah. called Measure the Pattern. Yeah, and, I remember uh, that. That was a huge, huge revelation to me. Because he just took me in. Go ahead. What was that? Well, I was just going to say, I would not be able, I would not understand this the way I understand it today. If I didn't go through all of that to learn the structure of it in, in, in depth. So I owe, you know, my foundation to all that Joe taught me and showed me. So I had built uh, with, with what he had taught me. I, from there I built on and then I was able to move into the to the area in which I've been doing my work recently. Right, right, exactly. And I and for me, for me, it was just I felt that this was an opportunity for somebody to walk in and say, "I'm really dumb. Show me, show me the facts." And yeah. he did and did and did and did and did and did and did. And it was we for that show, we would spend at least two hours weekly preparing for the show so that I wouldn't sure. sound like a complete idiot, <laughs> you know, when I was asking questions and things. And uh. And it was astounding to me because you know Joe has has lived and breathed and and walked the temple for I don't know how many years forty years fifty years something like that oh, yeah. I mean a huge number well, and I think uh, 1988 is when I first had heard of him yeah and I it was kind of near the beginning so I mean I don't know how yeah. many uh huh yeah we're almost yeah. at forty right yeah exactly exactly and uh, you know he's a perfect example of somebody. Who who never saw the inside of a of a collegiate institution, right? But just stepped right into the study of the temple, and and now these days, from what I'm hearing, when he goes to Israel, the rabbis all meet up and, and listen to what he has to say. Yeah, no, it's you know. it's it's groundbreaking, and I have such appreciation because yeah. again, it allowed me to the freedom to be able to go uh, where I go, and so what I always did in my books is I would insert. Uh, what I call fictional vignettes to help people understand the period and the structure. And so, for example, in the first book, in the creation book, the the prologue was Uh a a fictional account of what it would have been like to be there for Sukkot and the water drawing ceremony and the lighting of the the posts in in the court of the women. But having learned all that from from Joe helped me just right. to uh, be able to write about it in the garden book I wrote about the service of the menorah. Like if, if I named the priest Yonah and he would go, you know, he was chosen that day by the lots and, and he in <laughs> the whole yeah. process of going into the temple, just the laying out the whole um, the event. And then so people could really appreciate the temple and the purposes of these services and ceremonies and the whole concept of coming near to the presence of God. So I was yes, kind of fun yes. to be able to do all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's, I think you're, you're carrying on that tradition of, of opening up these things to people who, who claim that they pursue the God of Israel, but I don't think you can get to know the God of Israel very well at all. If you have never studied his temple, if you've never if you've never gone in yeah. and looked at that, you know, it's like it's sort of like saying I know him from a, from 10 miles away, but I don't know anything about the the the, the drive from here to there. Right. Right. You know, right. He, I uh, think that's true. I, I really uh-huh. do. And especially yeah. that's especially even true in the New Testament, because there's an awful lot of temple oh, language yes. 
in the New yeah. Testament, but we miss it because, wow. well, we don't know what we're looking for and we don't have any kind of foundation to be able to find it. You know, well, and and you that, we... go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, you, you can't possibly understand what Yeshua meant when he said, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I will re rebuild it. And he was speaking of his body or Paul talking about yeah. you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like you can't just throw that sentence out there and even understand it if you don't go back yeah. all the way yeah. to the beginning and lay the foundation. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the deal. I mean, and of course, we've been taught. By we, I mean those of us who grew up in the church. We were taught the temple. The temple was not really all that important because you know it was it was for, for back in the days when people had to follow the law and sacrifice animals and all this. You know, and so we we've, we've convinced ourselves that there's nothing there that relates to now. And when in fact, like you say, I mean I'm sorry, and, and this is something I'm going to say till the day I die. You can't read the Brit Hadashah and understand it remotely without having all those roots that take you back, you know, take you back into the temple practices and back into the way the way the land of Israel was operated and the way that the the understanding that, that our, our relationship with Yehovah developed. If we don't if we don't understand that, if we don't understand those roots, then we have a whole bunch of tops with the roots cut off and we're trying to figure out what sense the tops make. Yeah. And, just, no, and you take one of our sort of one of our focuses because we, uh, we focus a lot on eschatology and especially now people are, yeah. you know, prophecy here, there and everywhere. But uh, Christians have kind of failed to appreciate the significance of the temple and of it being destroyed, yeah. why it's destroyed and in it how with the destruction of the temple, they lost their monarchy and they lost their right. institutions and they lost yeah. their land and they lost their identity. They lost everything. So for example, when we go to Matthew 24, we see Yeshua was in the temple and with his disciples, they cross the Kidron and go up to the top of the Mount of Olives and they're sitting there and they're looking across at the temple. And he's saying, you know, not one stone will be left upon another. And of course, we go, you know, obsess over what that means 2000 years from that point. But he's he's setting them up that once again, you know, that temple is going to be destroyed. And That's here's right. you know, here are the reasons why. And so all of that language in Matthew 24 is related to to the temple. So one of the things, for example, in my book, um, that's the chapter where we have, as in the days of Noah, so it will be the coming of the mm -hmm. Son of Man. And it talks right. about um, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And I have always puzzled over that. It's like, what is that in there for? I mean, <laughs> we do this every day of our lives everywhere on planet Earth. Like, what? Yeah. It, so the context, again, being with Noah. So as I was writing Noah, the story, you know, the temple revealed Noah's Ark, it occurred to me that we were dealing more with the priesthood because one of the reasons the temple was destroyed is because the priesthood had corrupted it. And right. so could right. it be, and I, I make the suggestion, and I'm not dogmatic about it, but it seemed to me that Noah functions as a priest king in the ark, yeah. which is a temple yeah. pattern. And so it's speaking, you as a priest, you had to be married in, in order to be able to perform the services and ceremonies in the temple. So the Don't tell the Catholics that. 
I know. <laughs> the high priest could not answer the Holy of Holies right. if something happened to his wife, like just yeah. before he was supposed to serve. And then the whole environment of the temple is eating, eating and right. drinking, you know? So I fit back <laughs> yeah. in that context because I've right. not heard anyone else do that, but I'm thinking yeah. this is all about the temple. So, you know, how, do, how does that fit? So it's yeah. things like that I try to bring out in the book. And you know there you know, there are other things uh, that tie together too. Once once you start researching that end, so that you have some kind of an idea of where where what we have now came from. Um, I uh, you know I remember hearing that the rabbis say that at the time of the destruction of both temples, that Sinat Hinam raised in the you know that that it rained in the land, which that of course that's Hebrew for for baseless hatred. And I look around me right now, and I see baseless hatred. I see Sinat Kinam in the land right now, here. And I yeah. see the same thing happening. I see thing. I see the thing. I see the foundations crumbling. Yeah. I see the whole thing falling apart in front of my eyes. And it's that same so it's, Sinat yeah. Kinam. It, it's that whole a house divided against itself will not stand. Yeah. yeah. And so when you go back to Genesis chapter one, and you see that creation is synonymous with house building. Like house yeah. building, temple building, dynasty building, they're all one and the same. And this is this is the basis for life, for all of yeah. of human history. And so, you know, it's it, and in, in essence, it's not just the king and it's not just his dynasty, although that is the story of the Bible. But it's speaking of every home and every community yeah. and yeah. every nation and every family and that, mm -hmm. you know, it is one house. And when it when the foundations begin to crumble and the house divides, you're done, you know, yeah. it's over. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I, you know, I read, I, I read about chaos as you yeah. talk about it in your book. And that's, it's the same thing we're seeing right now. We're seeing chaos getting a, a stronger and stronger foothold in every aspect of our society. Yeah. I mean, you know, I well, see, I see, go ahead. Or Sorry. it comes. When the rightful king is on the throne, ruling and reigning justly and righteously. So if we look at our nation, you know, the king of kings is not on the throne. And That's those right. that are That's in power are not exercising justice and righteousness in any way, shape, manner. Right. It relates to That's Yahweh's right. justice and righteousness. So it's, it's inevitable that that is going to create chaos and disorder and dysfunction. And right. and I tell people too, as as I'm, if you can relate to that as well, just in your own personal life, you know, if there's no order in your own personal life in your own body, if the king is not on the throne of your heart, it's right. kind of a similar picture. If if he isn't king and ruling and reigning over your body, then you're going to see nothing but chaos and dysfunction, and right. that's true right. of your family right. and and you know yeah. as you take it out. So what you're saying is there's a multifarious world that we live in. At every level, you've got the same thing, yeah. the same situation existing, yeah. and the same the same set of alternatives. Yeah. You know, either, either yeah. we can walk in order and we can walk in peace and joy and tranquility and according to the law, or we can walk away from that and see everything that uh, was built for us, everything that was get, that we've inherited, thrown down. Yeah. That's, it matters who's ruling over you. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so yeah. you in the basic, you know, I, and I did I talk about this in the book. I, I tried to trace the sort of historical development of how empires came into being and how rulers of empires rose up and they, you know, ruled over their people and enslaved them. That's what yeah. empire kings and rulers and emperors do versus how God, you know, rules over yeah. his people. And, you know, Adam was supposed to, he was the vice regent to yeah. Yahweh, and he was supposed to be the one who would rule over the over the nations of the world, over the world with, with justice and righteousness. So that's supposed to be the core of the king. So you got bad kings in power, and yeah. they make bad policy, and that policy uh, enslaves and oppresses people. Here yeah. comes the fruit yep. of that. So yeah. here we are. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's so you can. You know, so really, in certain respects, your your books about the temple being shipped, being illustrated in these various situations are really they're primers for for dealing with what we're having to deal with. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, you know. I tried to pull it all together in chapter five. That's the last chapter in the book. Uh, there's a section on what I called new creation because, of mm -hmm. course, Adam, uh, Adam Noah comes off the ark and builds a vineyard. So this is new creation language with the vineyard. But then I have a section called cultural chaos, and I kind of go into some of the real elements of chaos today, like transhumanism, transgenderism, scientism, yeah. just and not in detail because I'm hardly an expert. But I can see those things are creating an incredible chaos for us. And we yeah. are losing the essence of who we are and we're losing the essence of our humanity. And yes. so I tried to pull that together in the last uh, chapter of the book and then offer some solutions for people. Because obviously uh, we, we need hope and we need some practical yeah. solutions for going forward today. How we're going to yeah. uh, navigate yeah. through this. Yeah. And we need to we need to admit things like there are two sexes. There are two <laughs> yeah. genders. There are not 326 genders. I'm sorry, but you know, no matter how much, go ahead. No, no, go finish your finish yeah. your thought. No, no, no matter how hard we try to create this construct out of our own imaginations, it's in rebellion to the facts of the matter that exist before our eyes, and as they were given to us by the Creator of the universe. Amen. So I did a lot. I mean, the the creation book came out in 2016. And I spent a lot of time talking about this. And, of course, we didn't have, I mean, there was the transgender, you know, the, right. uh -huh. the, whatever. But, it, you know, this is, this is just militant. But everything yeah. in Genesis chapter 1, was, everything about the creation story is about, you know, you cannot produce life without a male and a female. And if you go <laughs> to right. Genesis right. chapter 1, even taking, if we're making a covenant, if you will, between heaven and earth, really has to do with domains. But heaven is male and earth is fe feminine. The waters ab above and below, you know, and right. separated, male and female. Uh, day and night, night and uh, dark, uh, day and night, darkness and light, uh, yeah. Adam and Eve, yeah. uh, the yeah. seas and yeah. the land, everything yeah. is divided between male and female. Yeah, Yeshua and the body. Yeah. yeah. Every and the yeah, essence yeah. of everything is that even in the the Hebrew language of the nouns that are used, show us that this is the very core of everything that God created. And so, if you're going to build a house and through a covenant, 
you have to have two parties that come together and can produce life and you can't. Yeah. So every this this is an effort by the left, by the Marxists, by the radicals, the progressives, whatever on earth you want to call them, to distort, destroy the image of God in this right. world. They're it's in rebellion. That exactly. That's it. They're they're I mean they're doing it for one reason, and that's that's why I look around me and I realize that at its essence, the battle that is going on right now, that's raging right now, is a battle between Yehovah and those that seek to destroy him and seek yes. to, to, to denigrate him. And yeah. needless to say, needless to say, Yehovah already hasn't won. <laughs> you know, but the fact of the matter is that that while this war takes place, while this war rages on, we have to decide where what we will what, what we will stand for and what we will represent and and who we will stand with. And boy, I see a whole lot of people around me that are that don't seem to have their hands on anything real. They don't seem to be willing or able to say, okay, this side, this is all this is all sensible and correct. This is all nonsense that's being pandered on me. You know, and that's that's why I see I, I I'm astounded that so much of America is so clueless. Yeah. I, I you know, if if our country wasn't split down the middle the way it is, I think a lot of this would not be happening. But the problem is that there are enough of us that are willing to buy the lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, well, it's a concept. Um, divine providence plus human agency is what expands the kingdom of heaven on, on earth. And that has been a responsibility given to us. We're in essence his vice regents on earth. Right. And we are supposed to expand that kingdom through the attributes of the kingdom of heaven. We can see that language in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. But you have an awful lot of people that and this is just kind of the fruit of the last couple of hundred years in Christianity, where they have exited out of the culture and they have insulated and isolated themselves and are not have not become productive citizens of the nation in which they live by, you know, basically saying, well, I'm not going to get involved in politics. And my response is usually uh, I don't know if you've read the Bible lately, but it is a <laughs> political book from beginning to end. Right. Right. There isn't hardly a chapter in which we aren't dealing with some other nation coming against Israel, a political Mm -hmm. structure within Israel, with their kings, etc. And that the nation itself spent most of its history under the oppression of foreign rule. And even in the approximately 500 years or so after King David, in which they were in their land and they had their own king, their house divided and right. still they were under the oppression of their own kings because most of them weren't that great. Yeah, so exactly. the, the backdrop of the Bible is very political. And you come into yes, the first yes. uh, into the first century with Yeshua and he's having to deal with Rome. And he's yeah. having to deal with the, the corruption of the temple leadership and he's having to deal with the Herodian dynasty. And so, yeah. hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all over everywhere present and now maybe in the first century they you know they couldn't go vote for caesar but you know he was still uh, showing them the way how you walk through this landmine and you don't exit out of the culture and just let it you know go become a sewer heap but that's that's precisely what we've done and so i think believers you know they need i mean i know many are starting to wake up but this this Thing they have where they're not going to get involved in in the nation, yeah. the 
culture and the politics because it's dirty business. Yeah, I'm but, above all that. I'm above yeah, all that. Exactly. <laughs> and it's the reason we are here where we are. And God gave us the commandment to expand the kingdom on the face of the earth. Well, how on earth do you expand it if you sit in your little four walls every week yeah, and yeah, don't yeah, do anything yeah. to feed right. the poor or take care of the widow and the orphan and make life better for those with no right. voice? Hello. Yeah, the best the best set of, of uh, believers is the activist set of believers. Yeah. Yeah. The ones that are willing to go out and do whatever they have to do to make it happen. And, uh, and we, uh, and that's, oh. I'm seeing... Yeah, I'm seeing that right now even. I'm seeing that there there's a huge discussion going on. There's a lot of talk going on. You know, and people impugning each other and people and people talking about what's bad and what's good. But sooner or later we're going to have to stand up to these people that are that are doing this wrong. These people that are taking us down this path and say, yeah. "No, not another inch." Yeah. Well, we're and running out of we time. Do. Yes, that's you know, right. We are. I was screaming about this when the mass mandates came in. I was, if you oh, give them do oh, this, it, when they, you give them territory, they're going to take more and more and more oh, until yeah. somebody stops them. And now look where we are. We're practically at vaccine passports. Yeah. And well, look at Australia. We're done. Yeah. yeah. Australia. Australia is basically a dictatorship. Shocking what's I happened mean, in Australia. Shocking. Unbelievable. And the only thing that is keeping us from being Australia is our guns. Yes. That's, that's the only thing. If, if we didn't have guns. They would be doing the same thing here, and they would be they would be just put, putting us under their fist every bit as much. And we got to so, realize yeah. that. And I think it, so. The Bible helps us to understand what life is like under oppression. Yeah. And it's it you know Israel's story is a story of a nation that lived under oppression more than she didn't. And so we <laughs> need to uh, you know we learn what are the what are the strategies and tactics and stuff. How how do they respond living living like that? And then, of course, by the time we get to the first century and, and the Gospels and the Epistles, we see Yeshua shows us the way Paul gives us um, the tools that we're going to need. Because, I mean, he's running around the Roman Empire. That was, you know, no picnic. Yeah. And, you know, and he spent time, a lot of time in jail, if I recall. <laughs> and, uh, That's right. You know, That's doing right. the work of the, that the Messiah had called him to do. He didn't. He didn't just sit in his little church every week and just right. nothing. I mean, that man, you know, gave it all for the kingdom right. to expand. And and that's the thing. That is our mission as yeah. human beings, as image bearers of, of the invisible God. Our mission is to take expand his kingdom on earth. We work right. with him. He gives us the tools. He equips us with the mm -hmm. power of the spirit and all these various things to do a job and he God is not going to take a magic wand and wave yeah. it over the earth and make all things good. Well, you know, his covenant with us, even to this very day, requires activity on both parts. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, you know, we, we can't we can't sit in our lawn chairs and say, okay, Gaba, go over there and take care of all those problems, would you? Exactly. And then wait wake me up when it's over. <laughs> That's yeah, not gonna I, happen. You know, one of my favorite guys is uh, William Wilberforce. And um, once he got a hold of, you know, Yeshua, the Messiah, of course, for him, Jesus, and he understood Christianity, what, you know, the purpose of what he, his purpose in life. And he had a very interesting background. He was quite from a quite a wealthy family, but he had been introduced to, um, I just went blank, what's his name, Newton, John Newton. 
uh, Amazing Grace guy early on in his life. And so he took it upon himself. He ended up running for parliament and he was very, I think he was one of the youngest. He ended up serving in parliament, gosh, for over 30 years. But he knew the slave trade had to go. And with with his dying breath, basically three days after, uh, before he died, that finally parliament in the UK had passed, uh, had, had stopped the slave trade. And so he worked within the political system to up and one of the most, you know, the, the scourge of the time. And, yeah. you know, he could have done nothing, <laughs> right? Yeah. But he yeah. single-handedly, I remember one of the stories about him, he, you know, he kept bringing it up in Parliament to vote on and he wasn't getting anywhere. And one one night they were really close to passing, to finally passing legislation. He was that close. And there was this uh, Italian play or something going on in London. And those that were on his side, you know, what we might call the conservatives for the, for that time, wanted to go see the play. And so they all went and he didn't have enough members in Parliament. They would have oh. at that point. Oh. I mean, is that not just classic? And yeah. so he just went back and he just he did not stop talking. He did not stop work. And it took. 30 years yeah. and so we don't have that long-term perspective in our heads right. we just think okay if it didn't pass this time i guess it's not god's will and uh <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. we're so yeah. we we've got to learn how to work the long That's haul right. just That's like right. the inside knows That's right do well it. and and like the founding fathers save the united states you know you you know they at the at the end of the declaration it says we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And virtually all those men died penniless. Right. They they gave up. I mean, they they were well-to-do people. That's right. And they and they they said, "Here's where we draw the line. We're they not going to let." Appalled to see oh, where yeah. it oh, has oh. landed. Appalled. They gave up, like you said, everything, including their lives. Yeah. And you know, we've got. Yeah. In this country now, we we haven't even reached the point. I guess I guess that's what's what needs to happen. I hate to say it, but we need to be put we need to be pushed to the edge of the cliff, and realize that either we fight with all of our might, or we get, let ourselves get pushed over the cliff. We got a choice. Maybe maybe going over the cliff will feel more comfortable for a few seconds, you know. But then it's it, then the truth hits, and that's that. And I I see so much. I see so much hot air being exhaled. I see so many words being said that I see darn few people are willing to stand up and say, this stops now. I just see, I don't see very many people doing that. Yeah. It's like they, 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 it's like they're sitting back, they're cringing almost, thinking, hoping to themselves as a, while we're here in this situation, there's got to be another answer that we, that will make this all better without us having to really give it all. So in some essence, you know, the the story of Noah takes us to the the same place. You know, we're missing a lot of information. I understand that. But, you know, you see that after the garden and and Adam and Eve exiled from the garden, from the sacred space, from the presence of God. And then you just see you see the culture descending into this place of chaos and corruption and all of the stuff that goes with it. And then out of that, God picks his his chosen king to take yeah. to continue on the line the, the dynastic line and the seed 
and, you know, construct a place for the presence of God so that he can enter into his family and preserve the seed. And so I, you know, try to encourage people that that's that he's in the business of preserving his seed to do the work that he's called to do. And so, like I said, that I, I, um, in one of the chapters, I kind of filled in with my own <laughs> made up stories just to try to help people understand and engage in the period and the history of that time and what life was might have been like and the, the dynamics between, you know, various members of the family, et cetera. And you just as I'm going through it, I'm going, you know, there's nothing new here. Well, everything that we, you know, what what happened there is kind of what we're experiencing now. And that's why I tried to make an effort throughout the book to talk about how kings always desired immortality, for example. That was like their number one thing. And then you can you see that today with the elites, like with this yeah. transhumanism move. You you see ones like the Gateses and the Elon Musk of the world. I mean, they have yeah. everything, but they don't have eternal life. And so now they're yeah, trying yeah. to create immortality for themselves with AI and all, you know, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, in, not, in not, yeah, not to mention killing babies and and uh, and injecting themselves with their adrenochrome. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they will use every way, every means possible to try to forestall the inevitable, yeah. to try to try to forestall the death that they are confronting, whether they like it or not, no matter how many billions of dollars they have no matter how much control they perceive themselves as, as having, the fact of the matter is the day is coming when they will be no longer. And uh, I mean, they, there's no, <laughs> ain't no way. So yeah. I, I tried to carry those themes through the Bible because uh, through the, through the, the story of the, of Noah, just because I can see that. And also with how tyrants rise to power and what they do over their people like nothing's changed. It's, you know, human nature, when it is not redeemed, descends to the same place. Yeah. And it That's doesn't right. matter whether we're back in Noah's day or we're, we're, we're today. Right. So all those That's things right. are, are in the story, uh, the temple revealed in Noah's Ark. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of similarities. So I tried to bring that out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I, even in the, the, the portions of it that I read, I, I noticed that substantially. Cause I mean, let's face it. This story is a story for all ages, a story for all time. And uh, if we don't see the comparison with right now, then we're not reading very well. We're not paying attention. Yeah. Because it's right in front of us. And we, we have to do the, the, the true issue, I still believe, is are we willing to acknowledge the creator or are we going to try to try to walk, push, push him aside and not pay attention to him and walk past him and try to find something else that can serve as our answer because we don't like his answers. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's he's fairly uh, straightforward with his answers, and his answers require us to be uh, to be righteous and and to be uh, compassionate and considerate and all those things that we're supposed to be. And uh, I, I just I pray that people will read your book and will be brought to that that understanding and that conclusion because uh, it's right there. I'm and yeah. I, it's just it it really the book is really the culmination I, of. Real, all the research I've been doing for all those years. And of yeah. course, I tried to encapsulate it and keep it, um, you know, focused without going off in too many different directions and also not to be too long to read and, and somewhat easy to read. Now, parts of the book I use is scholarly material is very interesting 
when I started writing it because I thought, and eh, this will be easy. There's no books really out there on Noah's Ark, right? Uh-huh, yeah. And there aren't that many, but what there is are a ton of uh, scholarly papers. And yeah. I started to collect them, and I ha- I think I had about 100. And wow. going, oh, my gosh, now I've got to go through all this <laughs> and try to figure out, okay, is there a theme that yeah, all of yeah. these scholars are putting forth? And then I kept seeing it over and over and over again. And so that ended up being, you know, part of the book. And it was it was quite a challenge. But they they were all, you know, most of them saw the ark as and and I mentioned in the book that the story of Noah is just, you know, creation 2.0. We're just replaying all the, the creation story in Genesis yeah, 1 yeah. is being replayed in the story of Noah. And so the suggestions have been made, and I kind of see this too, that the the building of the ark is really in essence a rebuilding of the cosmos. Because we don't find boats that size at that period of time. (laughs) Scholars think it it could be dated to maybe 28, 2900 BCE, who knows. But the largest boat in that period was 10 feet. So Noah's just built this aircraft carrier. And you, yeah. you have to wonder, my goodness, you know. Yeah. And so there's this idea of God rebuilding, renewing, restoring the cosmos yeah. in the process yeah. of, you know, um, setting aside his chosen image bearers yeah. and protecting the seed there. And and we have to realize that the reason why he was forced to do this is because we chose to become so completely, so completely illegal, so completely Re, uh, rebellious, so completely nothing that he had to he's, he had to say basically, okay, I've had it. I'm going to start over again. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of uh, you remember if you remember when uh, Yehovah told Moshe when he said, uh, you know, I'm tired of these people. It was right after the at, at the golden calf incident, and he said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to get rid of all these and start over again with your with your seed, and and only because he let Moshe talk him out of it. You know, otherwise he would have done the same thing there. You know, he's, you know, he has spent, I'm sure that he's had his fill of having to start over again with us, yeah. you know, yeah. and, uh, so I know we I need Bible, uh, Groundhog Day, <laughs> house is destroyed. He builds a house. It's destroyed. <laughs> Just keep yeah. going over and over again. But yeah. I, I am hopeful. I mean, I, we are as a body all over the planet earth. Uh, yeah. The body of Messiah called to be his image bearers and to take the message of right. the king to every right. corner of the earth. And yeah. um, I think people are waking up. It's it's a slow go, but yeah. there's yeah. definitely, uh, the, I think, I mean, that's the way the kingdom of heaven will be restored on earth through his people. Yeah. And we just, we have to walk in an attitude of repentance every single day. In order to approach him, get our marching orders, find out what he wants us to do, where he wants us to go, whose life we can impact, you know, how can we be an influencer in our community, things like that. Absolutely. And uh, we, I mean, if I wasn't absolutely completely convinced that the creator still sits atop all this, you know, I think I'd just check out. But But I am absolutely convinced. Yeah. And this is the thing. Because as the culture has descended into this very secular humanist place, people are left with no hope. 
yeah. what yeah. is it they're going to hope and trust in that there's going that somehow their lives can be redeemed and turned around. They don't have that. We're it. I mean, they have only to look at our lives and see, oh my goodness, you know, they're walking in some kind of uh, faith and allegiance to their king uh, that's transforming their lives. I want my life to be transformed. I mean, we're the only way anyone's going to come to this knowledge. You know, God does move, I know, in supernatural ways, but that's not typically the way he necessarily moves he uses people and humans to do his work on earth right our responsibility is to walk out what we know is what we're supposed to walk out Uh, we're supposed to walk we're supposed to defend the truth to the extent that we know what the truth is we're supposed to do our ultimate to to keep righteousness where it belongs to keep all of the good things all the all the traits all the musarim you know, keep all those things where they belong. And we, uh, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? I right. mean, we, the, an- the answer resides in us. And if we don't, if we don't, if we say, well, no, that's too much, that's too much work for me. I'll just, I'll just sit over here in the corner and watch it play out. Yep. Then it's not going to play out well. <laughs> yeah. If not us, then who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know? so. Well, Dina Dye, thank you so much for your time. Sure. I really appreciate it. I, uh, you're always incredibly, incredibly entertaining and also also incredibly, incredibly cognizant of fact, facts and things that we don't see without having your capable eyes to, to, to look at them and inscribe them to us. So thank you for that. Well, and, my pleasure, uh, and uh, I appreciate being on the show and just being able to share with folks. And hopefully the things that we've said this morning are just will be inspiring and encouraging. Well, I've got four words that I always say at the end of all these. They're the same four words, and they will they attach directly to that statement. And that is, remember who you are. Let your people come together in unity. What a blessing he's commanding when we're together. Fresh and cool, running down the beach.